we were in a jam, and we were jamming Wednesday night, and Tony said, if you ever need me to come out, I said, actually, <laughs> I was just texting with CJ. Uh, no, it's awesome. I'm really, uh, really blessed to have uh, all the people that we do who serve on our worship and stuff, and the, and the heart and dedication they give uh, to all of this, but... Um, this morning, we're, we're going to continue our series called Things That, that Jesus Never Said. But I've I got, a, got a question for you this morning, and I, I think you're going to know the answer to it. And, and the question is this. Some, some of the happiest people you know are some of the most selfless people you know. Correct or incorrect? Right? Some of the happiest people you know are some of the most selfless people that you know. I mean, these are people who lay their lives down for others, right? It's about what they do for other people. And it's like you see, you know, that they're successful and they're happy and they enjoy their life. But you also see like part of that is, is how they give their life away, what they do for others or even what they do for you. And I mean, at funerals, at the end of somebody's life, isn't that what we celebrate? I mean, when we gather together to celebrate somebody's life, that's, that's all we talk about, right? I mean, we talk about things like, what they did for me, how they made me feel, what I saw them do for someone else. That's, that's the kind of stuff that we talk about, right? That's the stuff we tell stories of. We don't tell stories of what they had or what they owned or what trips they took. We talked about how they made us feel, what they did for us, what we saw them do for others, and the impact that they had. Here, here's the truth, and this is something we all know, is that happy people find a way to give their life away. And that's what we're going to talk about a little bit today. But as I said, we're, we're in this series called Things Jesus Never Said because it's really easy in this world today to kind of shape our own worldview based on what we think, what we feel, what we've experienced, what we've read. And we even do that with God so many times. Well, I don't think God, you know, fill in the blank. Well, I don't know if God would really fill in the blank. And so sometimes we even do that with God. It's like we make up our own theology. We make up our own beliefs. We make up our own philosophies. And so we, in this series, we're, here's what we're trying to attempt to do. We're trying to understand who Jesus is so we can discover who we should grow to be. Because we have to have the correct or accurate view of Jesus and what Jesus taught and what Jesus said so we can understand who we should grow to be because we're, we're, we're to be like Jesus. We're to grow, grow and be like Jesus, you know, for ourselves and for, in our own faith, but also for the sake of being a, a good witness to the world as well. And so last week we talked about forgiveness we talked about how forgiveness is not forgive and forget you or forgive and move on or forgive in my heart, but forget you whenever I see you or talk to you. But how forgiveness is about Jesus's brand of forgiveness and Jesus's brand of forgiveness was about reconciliation, which is why we've had so many conversations this week, because the, the thought of reconciling with somebody, oh man, I don't, I just don't know if that's possible or how do I reconcile with somebody, but you know, still protect myself or, you know, where are those lines, where are those boundaries? And so we've had some terrific conversations, as I said this week, all about this, all about that message. But today I want to talk to you about something completely different, and it's this. You do you. You've heard this before, right? This is a cultural saying. You do you. You, you, you do you, right? We say it all kinds of 
different ways. I went actually to Urban Dictionary. I was trying to figure out, like, you know, where did this come from? What does this mean to culture? And so I went to Urban Dictionary, and this is the definition that the Internet gives me of you do you. It's the act of doing what you believe is right, being true to yourself, following your heart without consideration of another. And this thing, you do you, it's, it's kind of a millennial phrase. It's kind of a newer phrase. But really, this has been in culture for, forever, right? I mean, we've just said it a lot of different ways. I mean, we've said, you know, be true to yourself. You know, the, the heart wants what the heart wants. Follow you, your heart. Or, you know, every single one of us, we, we've told a friend or two, like, man, just do what you got to do, man. Do what you feel like is right. I mean, we've said it a lot of different ways. And, and, and what we're encouraging people to do and what we're encouraging ourselves to do is to do what makes you happy, right? You do you. I mean, if that's what makes you happy, man, if that's what's going to make you feel better, if that's what's going to help you, man, you do you. Do what you need to do. I mean, be true to yourself. And there's this even idea in our culture that you need to be true to yourself. And you can't deny who you are. Don't deny yourself. Don't deny who you are. You need to do you. But here's the thing. Here's, here's my question for you. Because a lot, of, a lot of you agree with this, right? A lot of you agree with this philosophy. A lot of you have said this to somebody else. And I get that. But let me, let me ask you a question. What would happen if everyone did them? What would happen if I did me, and you did you, and the person next to you did them? What, 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 what would happen then? Right? I mean, at some point, I think we're going to encourage one another. We're going to be like, man, you do you, you do you. But then what happens when all of a sudden, if, if what I did eventually intruded on you? Then what do we do? <laughs> okay? So if you're encouraging me, man, you do be you, be true to yourself. And I was like, all right, cool. Well, this is what I'm going to go do. And you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, that intrudes on what I want to do. Now I can't do me. I'm supposed to be true to myself. Well, you told me to be true to myself. Well, okay, well, one of us needs to decide which self is accurate here, okay? Eventually, that's what would happen, right? If I did me, eventually, it is going to intrude on you. At some point, we're going to come to this impasse where we don't agree with one another. With what you want to do is going to step on what I want to do. Where your true self is going to endanger or harm or upset my true self. Right? And here's the thing. If we say, you do you, we've got to be fair. Right? I mean, we can't encourage just some people to you do you, but then look at other groups of people and say, well, hold on, not you, though. You know, you're different, so no, we can't do that, right? So we've got to be fair. So, so, so how do we do that? How do we juggle that? If that's our philosophy, you do you, how, how in the world do we keep people safe? How in the world do we make sure that what I want to do doesn't intrude on what you want to do? See, this is... This is, this is kind of my argument for where I stand when it comes to, to same-sex relationships. And, and I've kind of developed this over the last year, talking to several of my friends who are homosexuals and who are in same-sex relationships and stuff like this. Because, see, here's what we have to understand whenever we, we, we talk about this. Is a lot of time, you know, in our culture today, we like to have the conversation, is homosexuality right or wrong? 
And, and I've sat down with my friends who are gay, and I've said, that's not the question. And I've sat down with Christians, I said, you're asking the wrong question. The, the question is not, is homosexuality right or wrong? That's not the discussion we need to be having. The, the, the discussion we need to have, and the question we need to have, and this is, this is my question, should we accept everyone's prefer, preferred or innate sexual desires? I'll let you just think on that question for a minute while I take a sip of water. That's the question, guys. Should we accept everyone's preferred or innate sexual desires? Because again, and, and, and I, I've thought about this question long and hard. I mean, I've been on this for like a year, and this is the first time I'm publicly talking about this. But we're not talking about love, okay? We're talking about sexual desires, because nobody's telling anybody who they should love, okay? I, 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 there's several men in this room that I love. I love them. We've cried together. We buy each other presents. We, do, we go on trips together and stuff. The only difference is we don't want to have sex with one another. Okay? We're, we're, we're talking about sexual desires, not love, and not relationships. So that's the question we should be asking. And the thing is that we have to ask this question. It's not, is homosexuality right or wrong? It's, should we accept everyone's preferred or innate sexual desires? Because here's the thing. If we say yes to one, we can't say no to another, guys. That, that's not fair. That's being judgmental. We, we can't look at a man and a man who want to be together in a sexual relationship and say, well, that's fine. You be true to yourself. Man, you do you. Whatever, if, you if you feel like that's your true self, if who you are, then, then go with it, man. Whatever makes you happy. But then if it comes to an 8-year-old boy and an 80-year-old man, we can't look at that and go, oh, that's, we can't do that. Why? Let's even let's let's talk about love for a minute. What if an eight-year-old boy and an eighty-year-old man say that they love each other and they want to engage in a sexual relationship? What's wrong with that? There's no Bible verse about it. What's wrong with that? But every single person in this room would go, You can't do that. Why? It's just two people doing them, guys. It's just two people being true to themselves. Who are you to say that they can't engage in a relationship, that they're not in love, that they can't engage in a sexual relationship? I mean, here's the thing. This is why this is a better question, because if we're going to be okay with one, we have to accept polygamy. Who are you to say that a man can't love multiple women and engage in a sexual relationship with multiple women? Who are you to say that's wrong? I mean, that's actually in the Bible. So, you know... So who are you to say that two people shouldn't do them and be true to themselves and do that? Hey, who, who are you? I mean, if, if next week, if I go and I cheat on my wife, Kate, and I engage in a sexual relationship with somebody, who are you to say that that's wrong? How, you, you know what? You can't even be mad at me, guys. If I engage in a sexual relationship and I have an affair on my wife and you go, I can't believe you did that. You're our pastor. You're, you did that to Kate. Hey, guys, I was just doing me. I'm just doing what makes me happy. I'm just being true to myself. YOLO, right? Who are you to tell me that that is wrong? Now, here's the thing. I'm glad we get to talk about this today. This is probably not where you thought this was going, right? But here's the thing. We have multiple people who attend our church who identify as homosexual. This is not anything about, you know, who we are against or anything like this. This is a, just a conversation about what we're supposed to do as, as followers of Jesus. We accept everybody here. And, there, you know, there are people in this room who have had an affair. 
There are people in this room who have looked at pornography in the last 24 hours. There are people in this room who have engaged in, in sexual relationships where they just were being their true self. But let me ask you, if, do you agree with that? Are you, are you down with that? Because here's the thing. If you're down with one scenario, you have to be down with them all. You have to be fair, guys. Otherwise, you're judgmental. So if you can't accept polygamy and sex, underage sex and relationships between young people and older people and, 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 and acceptance of pornography and affairs, if you can't accept all of it, then here's what's happening. The, the, moment, the moment you say that is wrong, you are appealing to the idea that there is a divine design that we are accountable to. Okay? The moment... In any scenario where you go, you can't do that, that's wrong. Says who? And you say, well, I, I just know. I just know. There's something inside of me. There's a tension there. There's something that feels wrong about that. The minute you are doing that, you are appealing to the idea that there is a divine design that is above us, that is greater than us, that didn't start with us, that you and all of us are accountable to. Hmm. I wonder what that could be. See, here's the thing. The minute you appeal to a divine design, if the minute you say that there are some things that you shouldn't do, there are some parts of your true self that you should deny, that you should say no to, the minute you say that there are some parts of your true self that you should kill that should not be there, what you are saying is what Jesus actually said. And that's this. Selfishness comes naturally and easily, but selfishness was not part of your divine design. So, what in the world do we do with that? Because Jesus talked about this a lot. He called them matters of the heart, right? We call them being true to ourselves, but Jesus, when he talked about it, he talked about our heart. And, you know, if we went around the room and I asked you, you know, do you believe that people are naturally good or naturally evil? This is a fun, you know, philosophical, cultural debate that, you know, sometimes we talk about in the world. But if you were to ask Jesus, this is what Jesus said about the natural state of your heart and my heart. He said this, out of the heart comes evil. Out of, out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. He goes, oh yeah, if we just busted out your heart and, and just, you know, whatever was there naturally, whatever seemed instinctual just came out. He goes, this is what would come out. All of these different things. And in several different places, he, he lists all these other different things. And, and here's what all of these things have in common. It's doing what's best for me without regard for someone else. Jesus says, this is what's natural. This is your, your, your inner self, is that if you just wanted to respond, you would do what's best for you without regard for someone else. And you all know this to be true. 
You've all experienced this. Here's how I know you really don't believe that you should do you or that you should be true to yourself. It's because last week we talked about forgiveness and you needed to be reconciled to somebody else. And many of you in the room, you were the offended party. Well, I've got news for you. The person you were offended by was just doing them. The person who offended you and upset you, the person that you don't want to be around anymore, or you don't want to talk to, or you don't want to see at family Christmases, that person was just being them true selves. So why do you have a problem with it? If you believe that people should do them and people should do whatever makes them happy and they should be them true selves, then how come you could ever be offended? Because you don't really believe that. That's why. Because you know That there are times where sometimes when somebody does what they want to do, they do its best for themselves without regard for you. And that hurts you. And you think that's wrong. And you don't think that everybody should be able to do that. So what do we do? What's the answer? If we are naturally and easily selfish creatures, what in the world do we do? Well, this is why Jesus came. This is... This is why Jesus came and and why his teachings are so important. Because left to our own devices, we're going to devour one another. Chaos. I mean, we're going to intrude on one another eventually. And then who decides what is right and what is wrong? Unless we are appealing to a divine design from a creator who is above us and over us. Well, this is why Jesus said what he said. Jesus said this. Jesus said, guys, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves. And he says, and daily, every single day, it's a daily decision. It's something that will not come natural. It's something that you have to choose to do. You have to daily pick up your cross. And remember, that cross is a symbol of death. It is a symbol of crucifixion. You have to daily pick up your cross and follow me. He says the only answer, the only hope that any of us have is to deny ourselves, to die to self, and follow him. So, How do we do that? Well, to kind of break this down and to help us understand this, I want to look at a a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. You know, uh, last week we talked about one of those letters that Paul wrote, but this one actually comes from Galatians. Um, He wrote the church of Galatia, and what was happening is that uh, many of the people of Galatia were Gentiles, which the word Gentile just means not a Jew, right? So they were not a part of the Old Covenant. And remember, when Jesus came, the Old Covenant was, was done with, right? Old Covenant was done with, Jesus came to bring a new covenant. So all of the Jews and the way the Jews had grown up, the old covenant, you had to go to the temple. You had to make a sacrifice to be atoned for your sin. You, you had to follow these uh, strict dietary laws. It was all about being circumcised, which, you know, came through Abraham's descendants. So that, you know, the outside appearance of being circumcised was a part of this as well. And then there were the 613 laws. There were not 10 commandments. There were 613 commandments, 613 laws that had to be followed, rules, okay? And so when Jesus came... He was, he was done with this. He goes, hey, the old covenant has become obsolete. 
Now, here's what's important. Love God and love others, which seems way too simplified and way too simplistic, but it was actually such a tall order. And you no longer had to go to the temple to make sacrifices to be atoned for your sin. Jesus' death atoned for our sins and adopted us into his family. And with his life that he was resurrected through, we were offered that life as well. And so, these Gentiles, Paul told them when when he reached them and when he taught them, he goes, look, here's the new covenant, the old is gone, and here's what is required of you. Love God and love people. This is the greatest command. But then what would happen is, is Paul traveled along, other people that were part of the temple system and were trying to hold on to the temple system would come up behind Paul. When Paul left town, they would come into town and basically teach that Paul was a a blasphemer, that he was wrong, that he was inaccurate, that he was a, a hypocrite and dangerous to people. And the Gentiles in Galatia, they actually wanted to be old covenant believers, They wanted to adopt the old covenant and do what the Jews were doing. And here's the reason why. Because it was easier. Because what Paul taught, even though it seemed simple, was a tall order. And they go, you know what would be way better? Instead of having this new covenant where we had to love God and love people, and when we you know, do something against it and one another, we have to go be reconciled and get into all that mess. How about we just go old covenant, and then when we have a problem, all we have to, go to do is go to a priest and be pardoned from him, and we don't have to talk to that relative, right? And it's just like between me and God and the priest kind of thing. And, you know, we'll even get circumcised. Cool. Surgery. I've been wanting to do that. Okay. You know, so like, let's do that because it would be way easier. And that's what they wanted to do. So Paul writes this, writes them this letter and go, Hey, I heard you guys uh, are wanting to be old covenant believers that you're wanting to go old Testament with this thing. Let's talk about that. And I want you to listen to what he says. So in Galatians chapter 5, he says, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. He says, because this outside appearance thing, it doesn't matter at all. He says, again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. See, this was the thing. The old covenant law, the 613 laws, there is no man on the planet who could ever do it perfectly except Jesus. That's what made Jesus the perfect sacrifice. That's what allowed Jesus to die for our sins because he was the only person in existence who could follow the law to the T. And Paul goes, look, if you're wanting to adopt this old religious temple system, just remember that if you pick up the law, you have to follow the entire law, which is impossible, by the way. And they knew this, and they thought to themselves, yeah, but it doesn't matter, because if we break the law, all we have to go do is go to the temple and be pardoned by the priest and atone for our sins through a sacrifice. And it's just, it's it's not a big deal, but it's just so much easier. And then Paul says this, he goes, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is, and here's the deal, I, I, I put a pin in this and I stopped this for a reason. You should know the answer to this little trivia question. What counts the most when it comes to being a follower of Jesus? If you're in jeopardy one day and they're like, what is the thing that counts 
the most. Or if you're talking to somebody who's not a Christian and you're like, give me, give me, give me the facts. Give me, give me the cliff notes. Tell me, like, what is this all about? Tell me in your words, what does it mean? What's the most important thing when we're talking about when it comes to following Jesus? Paul says, this is the thing that matters most. You ready for it? Faith expressing itself through love. He says, this is what it's all about. This is what's important. Forget your surgeries. Forget your outward appearance. Forget your church attendance. Forget about how much you know. All of that stuff, don't care. How good you are at following the rules, don't care. Here's the most important thing, above all else. Faith expressing itself through love. I'll simplify it for you and and put it into these terms. It's about you responding to God's expression of love for you by expressing that same love for others. This is the formula. This is success. Guys, this is what leads to a happy life. Is you responding to God's expression of love for you by expressing that same love for others. He says, this is what's important. This is, this is the end-all, be-all. And then he stops and he asks him this question. He wants to know something. He goes, you are running such a good race. If you ever get an email from me that says this, now you know what we're talking about. You were running such a good race. It means you were doing such a good job, you know? And he goes, who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? He goes, man, you guys were doing such a good job. I had such high hopes for you. Everything was up. Who cut in on you and told you that the truth that you heard from me is not the truth anymore? Who did that? Who convinced you of that? Who, who, who laid those little nuggets of untruth? And he says this, he goes, This kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. This might be the most important part of this message, okay? So if you've tuned out, tune back in for just a minute. Because I need you to hear this. This is so important in 2023 especially, okay? If you have a belief or you have a thought, or you have a way that you think the world works, and you feel like it is in conflict with other people, if you feel like it's in conflict with God's kingdom, if you feel like it's in conflict with God's divine design, let me tell you something. You will not have to look very hard to find somebody who will tell you that you're not wrong, that you're right. You will not have to look far to find somebody who will tell you, you do you. You will not have to look hard before you find a TikTok or a book or an author or even you will be able to go find a church and a pastor who will be able to look you dead in your eyes and going, you do you. We are accepting of that here. We are affirming of that here. We think it's great that you are doing this and we want to encourage you to be true to yourself. Let me tell you something. If you're looking for somebody to agree with you, you will not have to look very far. But let me warn you, 
That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. Just because it comes from some other pastor's mouth doesn't make it true. Just because somebody can manipulate scripture and tell you that word wasn't there until 1946. So that, that doesn't mean that. that you'll all, yeah, you can find somebody who will agree with your point of view. Guaranteed, promise it, absolutely. Won't be hard to do. And they will encourage you to be yourself and to follow your heart. But be warned, that kind of persuasion does not always come from the one who tells the truth. And then Paul offers such a good warning. This is so, so important. He goes, a little yeast works through the whole batch of dough. We're all guilty of this. All of us got that one thing, don't we? We always got that one thing. And it comes from a desire, doesn't it? comes from something you want, comes from something you like, comes from something that makes you feel good. And you've kept that as a pet, haven't you? You've excused that. You are great at justifying that to other people. And you're like, well, this is just I just can't let this go. I don't think that this is that big a deal. I think that, I don't think God gets too hung up on this. I don't see a scripture verse in, in, in the Bible about that. So I think that this is okay. And Paul goes, careful. Little bit of yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. Let me ask you something. If you go out to lunch, everybody's going to go eat lunch probably after church, right? If you go to a restaurant and you go eat and the waiter brings you your food and they go, hey, just so you know, there's just a little bit of mold in there. But it's all good. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. We just, we got the cheese out. There was a little bit of mold, but I just kind of scooped it around and I threw it on there. But you'll be fine. You'll be fine. You ain't going to die from it. So enjoy your lunch. Have a nice day. Would you eat that? Would you be all right with that? If they, now this is Ashley's, this is Ashley, this is Ashley's uh, example, because I told Ashley about this. Ashley said, or like if there were brownies and there was just a little bit of poo in there, right? <laughs> that came from the youth pastor, okay? <laughs> there were some brownies and just a little bit of poo in there. Would you eat it? If your answer is no, which I think everybody in this room is no, then why do you accept a life with just a little bit of sin in it? Why do you accept a life with just a little bit of sin in it? Not going to get me to hell. Just a little bit of sin. Not that big a deal, right? Just a little bit of sin. Ain't going to kill nobody. Might hurt somebody. But I think we can find a safe way to do it. Right? Safe way to do it. I love, I love hearing that word today. Safe way to do it. A lot of conversations about that death last weekend where those three teenagers died in the morning about drinking and underage drinking. Well, we just need to find a safe way for people to do it. Safe way to do it. Yeah. Little bit of yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough. Then he says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. 
but do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Look, you got to understand something as a new covenant believer. There's not a scripture verse for everything. Because you're not supposed to be. Because we're not following the law anymore. We're not following a list of rules. We're not following a list of commands. We're free from all of that. So if you're looking for a black and white explanation to either justify or to tell you that it's wrong, you're not going to find it on every situation. You're not. And you can look at that and go, well, there's nothing that says I can't do it. And you can indulge in that. But Paul says, look, be very careful. I know you have been given freedom, but do not abuse your freedom to indulge in the flesh. Do not use your freedom to do you, to be your natural self and to do what comes instinctually out of you. Don't do that. Be very careful. He says, because you... You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. He goes, rather serve one another humbly in love. See, this is the thing. We have this natural selfishness. We have this natural part of ourselves that wants to do whatever we feel like doing, that wants to indulge in the flesh, that, that, wants, that wants to give in to sexual desires and attitudes and emotions and things that feel real and things that feel instinctual to our gut. And he goes, don't do that. Well, how do I compete all of this? He goes, rather than serve one another in love. That is how you fight that. That is how you keep yourself from harming somebody else, from hurting somebody else. You have to serve one another humbly in love. That is a faith expression that responds to the faith expression of love that God shared for you. He says, because the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says, this is what's most important. This is the end all be all. This is what you will be judged by. Is how often you indulged and you were your true self. And how many times you denied yourself and you chose rather to serve somebody humbly in love. So he says, so I say walk by the spirit. Walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires. Again, he doesn't say, so I say, read your Bible and do what your Bible says. It's not what he says. He says, walk by the Spirit. Listen, because inside of you is the Spirit telling you what integrity looks like. Telling you what the loving thing is. Telling you what the wise thing is. You need to walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires are what are contrary to to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh here's what he's saying these two things are always butting heads with one another and if there's a tension there you should pay attention to it you should listen to that if there's a part of you that goes i don't think we should be here i don't know if this is right this feels like i'm kind of taking advantage of somebody he goes that's the spirit of god in you That's the ought to inside of you that didn't originate with you that you should listen to. And he says, they they are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. It's that warning inside of you. And he goes on and he goes, the acts of the flesh are obvious. These natural things we want to do, they're obvious. And, And he has a list of them. He says, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, 
idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. <clears throat> He's saying there's a lot of other things that could be on this list. The list goes on and on. But here's what they all have in common. They are pleasure at someone else's expense. That's what sin does. That's what sin likes. Pleasure at someone else's expense. See, here's the thing. We shouldn't get wrapped up on to-dos and do-nots. I get that. We're free of that. However, though, we have to think for a minute. Is what we're wanting to do pleasure at somebody else's expense? Parents, for a minute, imagine for, with me, if, you would, if we could just teach our kids to understand this concept, with, which Paul says, is the end-all, be-all. What if we could help our kids understand that it's, it's, it's not that it's just wrong to have sex before marriage, Okay? Why? Because that's just not what you're supposed to do. Okay? What if we could help our kids understand that when you are wanting to have sex with somebody before marriage, what you are wanting to do is to have pleasure at their expense. And I'm sorry, that's wrong. Because you're wanting to have sex with them without actually being committed to them, without actually having to be responsible and accountable to them, but you just want to get your jollies off. That's pleasure at somebody else's expense. That's not what we should be doing as men or as women, but especially men, that that's wrong. What if, we, what if we taught our sons that, fathers, right? That pleasure at somebody else's expense is wrong. That's not fair. That's wrong. That's taking advantage of somebody. That's the unloving thing to do. And that's not Christ-like. And that's not who we want you to be. He says, that's what all these things have in common. And he says, I warn you, I warn you as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. He says, but there's an alternative. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there is no such law. Here's the thing. Imagine our world. and Imagine what you want our world to look like, right? If we live in a world where everybody does them, where your philosophy is you do you, be true to yourself, give in to those desires, whatever you need to do to be happy. Here's the thing. When everyone is doing what they want to do, no one can feel safe. It's impossible. No one can feel safe in a world where everybody does what, what everybody wants to do. Eventually, what I want to do is going to intrude on you. So let's take these two lists, right? Paul creates a great list. He goes, if you walk by the Spirit, he, he, here's what that looks like. And if you indulge in the flesh, this is what this looks like. Let's look at this list. You do you. Immoral, impure, indulgent, hateful, jealous, angry, selfish. You follow Christ. You walk by the Spirit. Loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, good, faithful, gentle. Let me ask you something. At the end of your life, which list would you like to be known for? 
At the end of your life, when people get up and your life is nothing more than a story to tell and they finally tell that story, what would you like to be remembered for? Well, dad was very immoral. (laughs) He was very angry. He was very hateful. He loved to do this. He loved to do that. He was kind of selfish. Yeah, okay, let's put him in the box and get this done with, right? I've been to those funerals. Those funerals aren't fun. I've been to those funerals. And I've literally asked the family, what do you want me to say? Or do you want to be known for being loving, joyful, peaceful, kind, good, faithful, gentle? Mom was always gentle. Mom was always peaceful. Dad, he was, gosh, he was so joyful. He was so happy. He was so kind. He was so good. He had such a good heart. Paul says, the people who find themselves on this list that most of us, I think, want to be on. He goes, those those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He says, the people who have chosen to walk by the Spirit, they've denied themselves. They've crucified the flesh. They've denied themselves of their passions, of their desires, and they've said yes to following Jesus. And they've chosen to express the love they have felt from God by expressing their faith through love for others. So Paul says this, since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, if we call ourselves Christian, again, if you don't call yourself Christian, you don't have to do this. You do you. Go be your true self. Whatever that gut tells you to do, whatever that desire tells you to do, whatever you feel like doing in the moment, by all means, I am nobody you need to listen to. I am just a 35-year-old guy standing up here on a stage. By all means, you do you. And if you're a parent and you think this is a bunch of bull, then you... Continue to tell your kids, you do you. We'll accept you no matter what. We'll love you no matter what. We have no problem. You do you. That's fine. That's fine. But I don't know what you will find later on. I don't know. And sadly, I have had to be that pastor when I get the call of when things are going bad and when things are going wrong. And I don't, I hate having those conversations. I hate having those conversations because they're, they're so, so hard. I had one this week with somebody. I had one of those conversations this week. Well, they called me and they told me a lot of stuff that's going on. Sounds miserable. Sounds terrible. And they said, will you just pray for us? And I got real honest as a pastor. <laughs> just, I said, here's the thing. I've been praying for you and your kids for a long time. And this is why the church does so much preemptive stuff like parent labs and groups and this and that so that you don't get here. And I and the staff have been praying for you so that you wouldn't get here. So how do you want me to pray now? That was my question. So I have been praying for you. 
So how do you want me to pray now? And the answer was, this is what they said, just that this would go away. And I said, I am so sorry to tell you this, but this will not just go away. No matter how hard I pray. I don't want to see anybody get to that point. I hate having that conversation. But that's the truth. And you all know it because some of you have lived through it. Here's the thing. The most sincere response to Jesus laying himself down on the cross for us is to lay myself down at the altar for others. This is how you find a happy life, guys. This is how at the end of your life you want people to say the things that were on this list about you and not the things on the other list. You have to be willing to lay yourself down. It's not about being your true self. It's about being like Christ. And that's not innate in any of us. That's not natural in any of us. It's only through being and walk with the Spirit that it ever becomes a reality. So, the band's going to come back up. I found this song a few weeks ago. It was really good. And it was about taking my life. Prayer to God. Take my life. I lay it, I'm laying it down as an offering to you. I, I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what emotions you've had. But here's the thing. In order to find what we're actually looking for, we have to lay our life down at the altar. We're no longer required to lay a sacrifice down. We don't, no longer have to take an animal and spill its blood at the altar. That's great. But what we do have to do is we have to lay ourselves down at the altar. We have to deny ourselves. We have to die to ourselves. We have to give our life to Christ. That, that is the faith expression that responds to his expression for us. So here's the thing. If you need to do that this morning, if you need to pray that this morning, I want to invite you to come down to the altar. If you're dealing with stuff, if you're fighting with some demons right now and you're struggling, teenagers, man, teenagers, this is the decision that you have to make. Because you are being pulled by a world that is telling you, no, 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 it's cool. Indulge, indulge. Do what you need to do. Be yourself, be yourself, be your true self. Do it. And you're being encouraged by people that when you have to live through the consequences of that, they will not be there for you. They will leave you high and dry every single time because they're chasing pleasure at your expense and they're encouraging you to, you to chase pleasure at other people's expense. And that's what happens in those scenarios. I've seen it played out so many times. Teenagers, this is the decision you have to make. Dying to yourself now to save yourself from the mistakes that many of us in this room made, that left scars that many of us in this room are dealing with still today. But you could be better and you could be different. So as we sing this song and as we pray, I want to invite you to come down to the altar. No one's going to bug you. No one's going to tap you on the head. Nothing like that. Just an invitation. So we stand and worship with us this morning. And if you are ready to respond, 
I want you to respond this morning. And then I'm going to pray for us at the end.